I love Jared Allen. Fear the frog. How with the right hand. That's our boy Bob Schmidt. <laughs> Jared Allen with authority. This is the Fear the Fro podcast, a Cleveland Cavaliers and NBA podcast with Bob Schmidt. Nobody's going to subscribe. Welcome to Fear the Fro. I am Bob Schmidt, lifelong Cavalier fan, voice of Fox Sports Radio, and this is my couple times weekly, sometimes one time weekly, sometimes multiple times, depending on what's happening in game action, podcast about the Cleveland Cavaliers and things from around the NBA. To the Cavs, let's start with the Cavs, because this is my opportunity to talk about a team which is playing 500 basketball. They dropped a tough one to open the season. The Hornets game, I don't even want to talk about that. That didn't go the way that I hoped, in large part because Miles Bridges is having an unbelievable beginning of the season for the Hornets. But the last two games, the two most recent, therefore the two most relevant, have been excellent showings by the Cleveland Cavaliers. A solid win over the Hawks, which showed Evan Mobley and Ricky Rubio having gigantic games. And then the Nuggets, who very stiff competition in the West, headlined by the MVP. How do we open that game? With Lowry Markinen putting Jokic on a poster. And ball hawking, which is a nice developing trend that I like to see out of Lowry Markinen. Compiling steals and blocks. Four steals the other night. And how many times are people going to have to throw it to whoever's posted up in the corner on the wing and have Lowry jump the pass before they learn? Now again, two for eight from three-point land. But a consistent theme developing is Markinen is finding his way to make an impact on the game in other ways. Certainly. That poster dunk is what most people who didn't see the game did see the highlight of, because that made it all over Twitter. A reasonable stat line, 12 points, 4 steals, a block, 4 boards. Now, rebounding was light, but that's because we saw a phenomenal showing yet again. I didn't know if we could top just earlier this season when Jared Allen put up basically a perfect stat line. However against the MVP of the league, 21 points, 16 rebounds, and 10 of 11 from the floor. Now, my favorite part with Jared Allen is that while Jokic finished with a great line, 24 points, 19 rebounds, if there is such a thing as a great showing that resulted in your opponent scoring 24 points and 19 rebounds, well, then that was it. He got stronger as the game went on by the fourth quarter. We got to see an array of his post moves, pump fakes that he turned into spins. He can finish with either hand. And honestly, just catching alley-oops periodically from Rubio, it's really expanding his impact on the game. I think towards the end of last season, we could see the difference between when he was able to play on the floor with a true point guard like Garland and when he wasn't. Having two guys now, who can throw lobs to Allen, and who can find him for easy buckets, it's making all of his minutes effective minutes because there's not any time where you're just kind of wasting one of his best talents, which is being opportunistic. Now, he doesn't have to score 20 points every game, but that level of efficiency, to be averaging 84% on the season, that's unheard of. 17 points, 10 rebounds, a couple of blocks. He's even chipping in on steals. He's just shy of one steal a game. I admit, coming into the season, after that extension, I did have my reservations about how much money they gave to Allen. Now, most of it came from the perspective of $20 million, 
While that may not seem a lot when you look at it from the perspective of a wing, guys like Fournier, Gary Trent Jr., Norman Powell, those guys all got around that amount of money. But Jared Allen got slightly more than all of them, and he plays center. The next highest paid center this offseason was Holmes in Sacramento, who's off to a tremendous start himself, but only making just north of 50% of the money that Jared Allen is per season. But if this is the Jared Allen we get, a guy who's proving that he can play alongside Mobley, and that is in large part due to the fact that Mobley is so versatile. Maybe his true position over the course of time will prove to be center. Towards the fourth quarter, we got to see a handful of times where he got the ball on the high block and either threw it out to the corner. Now the threes may not have gone in, but he was able to find Markinen on an alley-oop that was pretty. And people are starting to take notice. It's nice to see all the national guys singing his praises, whether it's you know Chris Vernon or Taz Mellis or any of these guys. We have seen a lot of highly touted big men who end up being outperformed by more prolific wing scores, and then you end up regretting it. You can even make the case with Aiton, who's a very good center, but of course, Aiton and Bagley went towards the top of the draft where we see Luka Doncic dominating and Trey Young dominating, and it's hard to justify taking that risk when just positionally, great wings tend to be more impactful than great bigs. But boy, if Evan Mobley isn't so much better and more versatile than I thought he would be capable of in the pros. Because when people would talk about, oh, he can dribble and he can pass, it's like, yeah, okay, against college guys. But I'm seeing it now against legitimate professionals. I'm seeing a man in his first four games who's doing things which give me the confidence to think that, no, this will be a guy that not similar to Jokic in the sense of Jokic is the MVP. He's, I'm not trying to put him on that level, but the way that he does things that big men just traditionally aren't comfortable doing, Evan Mobley looks like he is comfortable doing whatever is needed. Defending, scoring, jump shots, he'll, he'll get stronger, he'll finish more as we go along, he'll learn more of the nuances of the game, and he'll really expand his statistical impact, but watching him, he's already had two games that are just, I would have been happy with the Grizzlies game or the Hawks game, if those were the best games that he strung together this season. And he's already done that in two of the first four games. So there is nobody who should go away from this Evan Mobley pick and not feel like, well, he might be one of the rookies that's in consideration for Rookie of the Year. We have seen some great performances. Chris Duarte has been great for Indiana. And he's done exactly what people hoped he would do, which is bring that age and experience that he had as playing more years in college and directly implemented on the pro level. We've seen Jalen Green have a 30-point game where he hit eight threes. We've also seen some duds from him. Scotty Barnes has been incredible in this role that he's in now, and who knows what happens when Siakam comes back. But for a guy who is painted as this raw prospect who could contribute in steals and blocks and defense but wouldn't bring much offensively, he's averaging 17 points a game and nine rebounds, and he's doing it on 56% from the floor. That isn't that raw, and it certainly reframes that argument that we heard after the draft in regards to, oh, should they have taken Jalen Suggs? Jalen Suggs has been good and bad at moments, and that's typically what you see a lot of out of rookies in general, but with the guards, that's what we're seeing right now. We're seeing some highlight games, and then we're seeing some bad games. Jalen Green will be good. And then it'll be quiet. Suggs will be good. 
and then it'll be quiet. Evan Mobley has been fairly consistent, and that's exactly what the Cavs need in order to bring the team up as a whole. And he's got to be amongst the top five in terms of just handicapping who could win Rookie of the Year based on this first week return. This front court, I don't know what it's going to turn into in terms of wins. I do like that over the course of time, that one of the trends we saw in the preseason was a lot of turnovers. And I think when Garland went down, we saw those diminish because Ricky Rubio is a very steady point guard. He's not going to turn the ball over a lot. Now, we came in with 14 turnovers for this game, but that was seven less than the Nuggets, and those mattered. There were moments where we opened up leads, but by halftime, they had cut the lead 50 points, and they were sitting at 46, so they were only down by four. Bone High, Bones Highland, rather, excuse me. When he tied that game up at 33, he came in, he scored two buckets in a row, and I thought, uh-oh, this is never good when the rookie comes in, but it just didn't sustain. We were able to hold on in large part because Kevin Love was excellent. He kept abusing guys on switches, didn't force anything, but anytime the Nuggets tried to put a smaller guy on him, and it didn't matter who it was, Campazzo or Morris, he abused them. And Campazzo trying to test Ricky Rubio, what are you thinking? Have you not seen what Ricky Rubio's been doing out there? The man got punched in the face against the Hawks, and we won that game, going away. I do love that these Europeans always end up fighting with one another. Yeah, good luck with that, Composite. But God damn, what an annoying player. And I'm not just saying that because I'm Team Rubio here. I just mean in general. Every time I watch, that guy is like a foreign deli. Except that he's, and I don't mean a deli like where you get sandwiches. I'm comparing him to Della Vidova, if that's not clear here. I don't go into foreign delis. You know why? They don't serve ice, which is ridiculous. Because when you're in Italy and it's 105 degrees and you walk in and your only option for a cold drink is a slushy, I can't drink slushies all day. What am I, 12? Get some goddamn ice. Okay, I'm spiraling. Let's get this thing back on track. Jokic tied it at 70, but when we went into the fourth quarter, I think we were up 74 to 70, and then we just blew it open. 10-0 run. At one point, it was 89 to 73. Garland had that ridiculous up and under in the fourth quarter. You could see the confidence growing, and that's the kind of thing, in the first couple games, we fell apart. But... As these games progress, especially when you look at the flow of the game in Denver, where it was tight, we would open up little runs. We'd go on these little spurts where we go up by six or eight, and they'd cut it to you know three or five or even maybe tie it up, like when it became 70-70. But we closed that game out incredibly in a way that we haven't seen a Cavaliers team do in a long time. And as much as I wanted to do a podcast last night, I thought, you know what? I'm going to plop this one down between the two because I wasn't expecting a win against Denver, quite frankly. I didn't want to come on too reactionarily. I wanted to watch the game a second time, kind of take it all in, and then get ready for this upcoming matchup against the Clippers. But there are a few things that I really think are benefiting this team in the early season. It's obvious that Ricky Rubio's play is one of them but the ability to put him out there and to consistently have a playmaking point guard, be it Garland or him, is going to pay such big dividends for Jared Allen, for Lowry Markkinen, because I will give Lowry a credit for this as well. I feel like he was somewhat misrepresented as a guy who just camps out at the three-point line and bombs away, but he will take advantage of anyone who turns their head to cut backdoor. 
He was getting lobs that way. He also uses that pump fake to get into his drives fairly effectively, much better than I would expect for a guy who's seven foot. Now, he may not have the lateral quickness to defend everyone the way that you would want on the other end, but at least offensively, he appears way quicker than I gave him credit for. But at some point, you have to expect that he's going to be making more than he is right now. At the moment, the thing to hang our hats on is the fact that Lowry Markinen is at least aggressive. If those really start falling, it already feels like that trio, as worrisome as it seems like it should be in theory to have three seven-footers out there, Mobley can play anywhere from the rim out to you know 20 feet or so. Markinen being able to go out to the three-point line, Love being able to go out to the three-point line, and Allen you know, just roaming around the rim. I'm loving that front court rotation. Now, the back court rotation, Colin Sexton has somewhat regressed from a statistical standpoint. Now, mind you, it's only a four-game sample, but so far, he's averaging almost five minutes less a game. You can put part of that, too, on the fact that we ran away from the Nuggets, so he didn't even really need to play in the fourth against them. But through these first four games, his percentage is up. He's shooting 49% from the floor. His three-point percentage slightly down. Most of that is attributable to a two of seven game that he had against the Hornets, where he did pour in 33 points. But his ancillary contributions in terms of rebounding and assists, they've fallen off 19 points, two rebounds, two assists. But 19 points, it's five less points on a team that has far more offensive firepower. And if he's still doing it with efficiency, maybe this is more accurate in terms of a representation of what we need from Sexton, not what he's capable of. I want to make the distinction here. It's great that Colin could do 24, 3, and 5 last year, but we don't necessarily need that now. I'm not going to sit here and paint Colin Sexton as some kind of victim because now he's playing on a team with more talent and his stats may happen to fall slightly in a year where he's due to be paid. It's not some concerted effort by the Cavs to stifle his market. If anything, it's a concerted effort by the Cavs to win games. And here's the other thing. For the first time in several years, we've had a backup point guard who's probably capable of starting for many of the teams around the NBA. So I think we probably should have expected that his minutes were going to fall, unless we dumped Rubio before the season even began. And now, it's not looking like that's going to happen. Now we have three guards who all could command starter minutes in many different situations across the league. So yes, it may lead to less statistics for Sexton, but it could lead to more wins. He's going to get paid as what he is, an efficient volume score. And I don't know why. I realize there's people who love Sexton because he's carried the torch for our team during some truly awful years where he's played all out and put up some pretty incredible statistics. But still, you should be rooting for the Cavs to win as many games as possible. And if your happiness with the Cavs is dictated by how much money Colin Sexton is going to be able to make, that's the portion of the fan base that frustrates me. You're doing it all wrong. You're so conditioned by all the losing to just focus on the individual accomplishments that you've forgotten how fun it is to root for a team that's winning a ton. It's not that long ago. We're not that far separated. I'd give you a pass on it if it was the late 90s, early 2000s Cavs. But Jesus, we could be competitive again. Let's lean into that. Whatever Colin ends up at is still generational money. He's good. Don't worry about Colin.
let's go with what's working and just see where that takes us. Because we have three or four seasons in a row now of stringing together wonderful Colin Sexton performances that I'm at that point of my fandom where I want a little bit more. Now, speaking of players who are somewhat divisive in the Cavs community, Kevin Love. What a start of the season for him. The expectations were at an all-time low. So just the fact that he's staying healthy and he's contributing in a role without being a detriment to the team in terms of his attitude or his behavior, he doesn't have to do much night to night. But to get a night like last night where he got 20 points and six rebounds and you saw him do the things that he was good at and do them with efficiency, Kevin Love is going to win a lot of people over if he keeps playing like this. As we go through this early part of the season, I think you could look at how deep we were last year compared to this year, and that alone is one of the biggest factors for seeing the difference between our early season success this year and all the struggles we faced last year. Last year, we came out of the gate hot. We won those early games, and everybody said, oh, we're the team to watch. The guards are playing insane. Darius Garland and Colin Sexton came out of the gate incredible. And then, of course, injuries started to mount and we started to fall off hard. But we've already weathered a stretch without Garland where we were competitive in all those games, basically, except the Hornets one. But Rubio has given us great minutes over the course of these four games. And now to have Mobley and Markinen and Jared Allen finally getting a rhythm, the team rebounding that we get to see from these guys makes me really feel confident that we're going to be able to limit second opportunities. So there will be times where we get exploited in transition. Certainly, John Morant was incredible at it, just pushing the pace, getting down the floor before we could get back and get set, and putting Lowry Markinen on an island that, quite frankly, that first game did not love to see that. But now we get to take on a team in the Clippers who Jared Allen will get to face his Backup from last year, perhaps, for certain extended periods of minutes, Hartenstein. But they're built differently than the Cavs in the sense that we got to see one of the best centers in the league. And depending on what happens with Anthony Davis, when they take on the Lakers, we're going to get to see a lot of size there between Jordan and Dwight Howard and Anthony Davis. And with the Suns, we'll get to see Ayton. But we'll get to see extended stretches of how the Cavs do against smaller, more versatile lineups when they take on the Suns, and tomorrow, when they take on the Clippers. Paul George, coming off a night where he had eight steals, is playing unbelievable basketball. You're getting a resurgence from Eric Bledsoe, Terrence Mann, always an unknown in the sense that his role could be huge tomorrow night, or it could be limited, but I think we're going to see a lot of him guarding Evan Mobley, Fear the Fro will be in attendance because, yes, Fear the Fro is based out of Los Angeles. I work for Fox Sports Radio. So I will be at the game. First chance to put my peeps on Evan Mobley. But more importantly, the namesake of this podcast, Jared Allen, who is playing inspired basketball. So I'm going to wrap this podcast, but I will be back with a postmortem of the Clippers' crushing defeat at the hands of the Cavaliers with some of the Clippers' own commentators. That is my promise to you. I happen to work in the building with several of them. So I'll get one of them on the podcast and then we'll talk about Richard Jefferson's penis. Sound good? Okay, let's reconvene back here next time. This is the Fear the Fro podcast. Follow me on social media at Fear the Fro pod. Please listen, subscribe, rate, and review. I thank you all. Okay, that's enough. Stop it! This has been another Fear the Fro podcast. That was... 
pathetic. If you enjoyed what you heard today, put it on the highlight reel. Please consider subscribing. Check out FroPod.com for more Cavaliers and NBA coverage. That's what's on display here.